Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, onto the show. I've been in this line of work over 40 years. Nobody has ever tried to steal from me and lived long enough to spend a dime. You know, you're not just stealing from me, you know that, right? You're a dead man. Come on, let's go! Hello? Detour, Creston Ave. What? The kid, he can't be trusted. Bring him to me. Please, I have to. So, how does this work? Do we just go collect our cut and that's it? Or are we uh, getting another job? What are you thinking? Is that a burner? What's the deal? Anybody can be tracked. Nobody's tracking my phone. Who's he been talking to? Count was missing 25 grand. This thing's not stolen, is it? Hey! Go somewhere! Is this where you're born? Or are you unpredictable? Man, you gotta be thinking about your next move. You won't make it through the night. I made it clear. Nobody steals from me and gets to live. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 569. Releasing in Australian cinemas on November 2nd is Bring Him to Me, a crime thriller that stars Barry Pepper as a conflicted getaway driver under orders from a ruthless crime boss to deliver an unsuspecting passenger to an unknown fate. A character-driven crime movie set in a brutal criminal underworld, the film also stars Sam Neill, Rachel Griffiths, and Jamie Costa. And Bring Him To Me also marks the latest film from prolific filmmaker Luke Spark, who joins me on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast for his fourth appearance. And it's always great to talk to you, Luke. How are you today? Good. Yeah, it's always great to talk to you, Matthew. So it's great to be back. So let's start off with the good news that was uh, recently announced. Uh, US distribution for Bring Him To Me, I believe, is at Roadside Attractions. So it's, I'm going to distribute that for you in the, in the space. Yep, ro- yep, Roadside is going to take up the theatrical release and Samuel Gold Films is handling the uh, everything else, VOD and, and DVD and that. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's good news. It's been in the works for a while, um, but it's always great to announce it and to get it done. I cover a lot of um, uh, films from uh, Roadsides and the guys at Samuel. And, um, yeah, uh, they do great work there. I love, love the news they've released. I think um, your film is really in uh, their wheelhouse to do some really good crime thriller stuff. 
Um, what's interesting to me, though, in regards to your filmography, like your background, a lot of the stuff we've talked about before, so your sci-fi horror features, um, your occupation series especially in regards to that. Here we have something that's a little different, um, a crime thriller movie, and also one that isn't written by your hand as well. Um, usually you have your 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 script writing credits on, on, the, on the screen as well. So uh, what came about in regards to changing tact a little bit and getting into a, like a crime thriller territory with this one? Yeah, well, you're right. Everything I've done so far has been kind of genre-based, and I did this because of that. I was very quickly getting sort of labelled in the agent system in LA being like, oh, he's the alien guy. He does alien right. films. Um, and they're very quick to do that over Hollywood. Um, and I just wanted to do something different. And when this came across my desk, because I'm open to, you know, I, I my door's open to script writers um, and they pitch me all the time. But it just has to have something that means something to me or something that I think I can do different. Um, and I get a pitch a lot of sci-fi films because they go, well, you can do this. Here's another one. Um, and this one came across from a writer who I was working with on another show. Uh, and then just crazy how it happened, crazy how things just happened in life. I was working with him on another one called Scurry. Um, and it just couldn't get up last year for one reason or another. And I wrote to him and I said, look, we're just not going to get this film going this year. I'm sorry. And he's like, that's okay. And it's his first time writing. And he's like, well, I'll go work on my other script. I'm like, what's the other script? And he's like, it's called Broom to Me. It's a crime movie. And I was like, give, give me a look at that. And within two weeks, I had it like in, in production of having the script. So it just, again, I read it and I was like, this is something different for me. It's cool character story and it has some twist along the way. Um, yeah, and I thought I could achieve it. So the writer in question is Tom Evans from what I understand is from the UK. Is that right? Yeah, he's from the UK. And he got an in with me, I guess, because in his day in his day job, he works with uh, movie marketing, movie posters. And he wrote to me and uh, on LinkedIn, actually, um, and was just like, hey, I worked on your poster campaign for Rainfall with the company that did it. Um, I have a script. Could you just give me feedback? It wasn't he wasn't like pitching very smart way of doing it so um and, and because he's an artist um he had a great pitch deck he had all the artwork because that's what he does so it could all it all popped for me straight away and i was like well not only do i want to give you advice i'm interested in this movie i'm interested in your scripts um and he loves these self-contained type movies and that's something different for me it's achievable um on our schedule and budget so yeah it all kind of worked What's interesting about bringing him to me is that supposedly uh, Tom was in, inspired by a scene from the Martin Scorsese from Casino where uh, Joe Pesci's character, I mean, it's an infamous scene. A lot of people talk about it. He is uh, uh, taken to a, a, cor a cornfield for like a meeting with his other mafiosos and it turns out to be something incredibly different. I think it's one of the more, more brutal uh, scenes in the Martin Scorsese's uh, filmography yeah. and that's saying something considering we talk about Scorsese. So when you read the script and you hear about his inspiration behind it, um, does that automatically kind of click in your mind about what type of tone as well that you're looking for in regards to visuals as well? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty quick when I read a script, you know, um, and know what the tone needs to be. And obviously, yes, he told me that story and I, like I said, the pitch deck was all very moody, dripping with different colours, palette and all this kind of neon slash dark and gritty stuff um so yeah i i rewatched casino which is fine by me because i like that movie anyway um and yeah so i i i got what he was what he was going for and i'm not one to sort of change tactics you know once i commit to something um and i feel it's right in my gut then i'll continue on that, that track and there was many discussions about this this script even up until shooting people were you know different um angles coming at me you know 
I want to talk about the, the cast. So you've got Barry Pepper. He plays like the driver in the movie. And the thing about Barry Pepper is that when people uh, know of his um, filmography, they know Saving Private Ryan and, and other movies yeah. like that as well. Um, there's a great movie that he did. Um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones directed it, like um, uh, because like in the early 2000, 2000s, it's called The Three Burials of um, Mike Wade's Estrada. I mean, it's one of my favourite movies, and I thought he was fantastic at that. He's one of those... He's one of those actors that you can put him in any film. He always gives you like a really great performance. Um, yeah. How did he come about get, getting in 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 the, the movie? Was he someone who already had that screenplay kind of like in in the works with him, or is it something that you get on and then um, he kind of like um, gets onto the, the the project as well? Yeah, yeah. Look, we have I, I have a list a long list of people who I want to work with, um, and he was he's at the, at the top one of the one of the people at the top. So I was actually talking to him about another movie. Um, and then again, he had his own things going on, so we sort of disconnected and reconnected uh, over this one. And he was going off to do uh, one of the spin-offs of Yellowstone. Um, and then he came back to me and was like, "And I was casting this one." And I knew he was out. Um, and then he came back, and no one had offers from a lot of great actors. I, 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 um, I met with a lot of great actors, and whether I wasn't too sure on them or whatever. And he came back to me. He's like, "Hey, they pushed it. Um, I'm available now." I was like, "Well, I'm working on this script. Do you want to read it?" And he read it within a day. He wrote back and he's like, "I want it." And then it just, yeah, it just happened. Um, and because of my my work on Rainfall, when I, we first connected, he was like, "He loves sci-fi." Um, and he's like, oh, "I just love the way that you did all that yourself and the determination and everything you've got." So he was kind of interested in working with me. The look of his character is really interesting. That goatee, the hair, the jacket. Um, how does that come about in regards to uh, the visualization of a character? Is that in the the pitch deck that Tom had? Is that something that you worked on? Is that something that that um, that Barry brings to to the table? How does that all kind of work out? Yeah, that one particularly was all Barry. Um, he 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 liked that. When when I read a script, um, I like obviously when it's someone else's script. Uh, I make sure that the the core is there, but things with the actors and characters or something else or the visual storytelling. It's always up for discussion. I always look at it like a guideline. So if someone says something to me, I'm not going to go back to the script. I know some directors do, and I've been on sets with directors where they've gone, no, right here it says he picks up a pink coffee cup. I want my pink coffee cup. And the actor right. like, yeah, but I think I should I think I should drink another glass bottle, like all that sort of stuff. And I'm very easy to be like, yep, fine. You want to drink out of a glass bottle? That's fine by me. You know what I mean? So when an actor comes to me, Sam or Rachel, and they go, hey, I'm thinking this haircut, I'm thinking this jacket, I'm like, if that helps you, as long as it doesn't offend me, obviously, I'll be the first one to be like, no, but I'm very open to it, right? So and that was all him. That was all his look. And he's a he's a getaway driver in a, in a movie as well. So the car itself, it's kind of like an extension of him and his personality, and there's a background in regards to the car, what it means to him as a character. I don't want to give away too much in regards to that. It's a 1970 Chevelle SS, um, classic American kind of like car. Um the car itself, is that described in the script or do you have to try to find a car that not only suits the character but it has to be something that, of course, Barry has to be used to as well because I'm sure he's doing a bunch of driving in the movie. Yeah, look, Barry, so answer the first question, um, I think the car was described as something different in the script but, again, I take it as a guideline because it's something that Tom was just like, that would be cool. But when it comes down to practicality, when my crew come in, they go, right, do you need this exact model? And I go, no, I need something that looks cool that's in that same wheelhouse, right? So yeah. then they gave me a bunch of photos, and I was like, these are available. These people are happy for you to, like, drive it for, like, the weeks of shooting and scratch it and whatever else that happens in the movie. Some people are very particular. Hey, you can use my car. You can't scratch it. And I say, well, <laughs> there's no point being in this movie. Um, right. 
so yeah, and I picked that one, and then we worked in the script, and and Barry was involved in that process as well of picking the car. Um, for the second question, I really Barry threw me for a six because I was like, oh, how's this going to go? I really want to make sure the actor can drive because I want to have the the shots of him actually driving, not some stunt double. And then Barry gets here and he's like. I did a whole mini series about NASCAR driving. I did like six weeks course of NASCAR. I can drive. And I was just like, I was like, and you hear it and you go, and I've heard it from actors before. They go, I can ride a horse. And the very first time they ride on the screen, they fall off. And I go, can mm. you ride the horse? Oh, I've ridden the horse once. I'm like, well, that's not professional. But Barry, I was like, can you show me how you drive this car? So he just took it out in our studio, took it out in the street and just revved it to a hundred. And was just doing burnouts and donuts. And, and I was like, oh, you can drive. <laughs> So I think, it was, he, uh, uh, I think everyone was shocked. He was it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. he played, right? In the in the NASCAR I series. Think so, yeah. 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 That's really cool. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by T Public. T Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, T Public is sure to have something you will love. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Um, I want to talk about um, Barry's uh, on-screen, kind of like, I guess you could call him his partner in crime, played by Jamie Costa. A lot of people know Jamie from this huge viral video that went out, like I think, like a couple of years ago, where he kind of like mm. did a reel of um a Robin Williams biopic biopic that he wanted he was kind of pitching for. It went yeah. it was like went everywhere, like every even from social media to traditional media. Um uh, it was a fantastic kind of just a uh, like it was, it's not even an impression. It looks like more like a reincarnation than anything else. It's just kind mm. of remarkable. Um how did you get uh, Jamie on board to to work on the film? Did you uh reach out to him that way back um when the um Nat viral video first come out or is this something where again uh you get the script and then um you know jamie uh, is available and you can work with him on a movie mm, yeah i reached out to jamie a couple of years ago it was after the viral video but a bit of time after the dust had settled and i think when i talked to him on set he talked about how it was all hot and then he had people who screwed him over and he didn't right. get you know it didn't get where he wanted him to go he's still in talks um and i think he's got a robin williams biopic on the in the pipeline depending on who picks that up with him um but yeah i talked to him about another show i just liked his reel and i also know him from a lot of star wars fan films that he has done on youtube um, because i'm a huge star wars fan obviously um so yeah i just reached out to him personally and it was it was a time when he was changing agents so it was just like his direct email address and i was just like hey i'm a filmmaker in australia i'd love to just talk to you and we just got chatting about our love of star wars and jurassic park and everything else so when this one came up i was pitching a bunch of other scripts to him and this one came up really quickly like i said and i pitched it to him he thought he was wrong for the role um and i said no my gut tells me that you're right because i think he was thinking more like a jesse pinkman in breaking Mm. bad and i picked jamie because i wanted to be the the opposite of Jesse Pinkman because that's already been done. So I didn't want to be, you know, it's very easy to go, oh, we should just do it like Jesse Pinkman. You know, yo, driver, pick me up. Yay. Yeah. Um, and I wanted someone who's just a bit more like kind behind the eyes and just someone who's just wet, wet behind the ears and kind and just go, he's not in this world yet. And that's, I think that works in the movie. So I thought Jamie was good for that. Um, yeah, obviously he really thanks me now. He agrees that he is good for the role <laughs> now that he's seen the movie. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's how that all happens. 
what I like about his character in the movie, and I think a lot of it, like you said, the the eyes, I think is a big, big part of that, but there's a sense of purity to the character as well. He's doing it for, he's taking part of a illegal act, but he's doing it for like really honest intentions. He's doing it because he has a family, he has a daughter. Um, he, but he's not really made for that life in a certain way. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, Barry Pepper's character, he knows this. And I think that's where a lot of the kind of dramatic conflict comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I liked about the script. Even though it's just two guys, most of the time he's got this really sort of evidence flow and you could really see the arc in the, in the script. And I, could, I think you can see the arc in the, in the movie as well. So I really enjoy watching those two come off. And yeah, Jamie, yeah. When I read it, yeah, it, I have a daughter. You know what I mean? And my daughter actually plays his daughter. That's my daughter okay. in real life. Um, so, you know, all that stuff affected me as a father, um, as, as, as a new father, like newish. Um, so, yeah, I really, yeah, I want to make sure his character came across like that. So surrounding Barry and Jamie, you got Sam Neill and Rachel Griffiths, these two titans of uh, Australian-New Zealand uh, uh, film industry. What's really cool about what you do with them in this movie is that while they have played, they have played kind of like morally, you know, uh, conflicted uh, characters before. I don't necessarily remember either of them playing the type of heavies that you have them playing in this film, like really kind of mm. ruthless kind of bad guys. Um, what was that something that really appealed to them um, in regards to the script to be able to really sink their their teeth into kind of some really kind of like villainous kind of performance? Because because by your indications, when um, actors get those type of type of villain roles they really jump to the opportunity to play characters like that because for some reason it gives them a sense of kind of like um, a freedom to really kind of just go bad in a certain, in a, in a sort of yeah. way. No, I think, I think that's right. And like Sam has said on numerous occasions that, you know, he loves playing bad guys and they're the most fun of all. Um, it was funny because, again, in the script, it's not it's not my my writing, but, you know, as when he's son was director, you got to make sure it's up to what you want. So I pushed um, Tom hard on... The character of Frank, who plays, uh, who Sam plays, because originally he dies very in that in that heist um, that you see in the trailer, and, the, and he only has like one or two lines, and mm. the the son is doing the rest of the movie. Um, and I just thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity because when you're casting roles, you have to go, well, this is only just two people in the car, but who can we surround these people with? Um, and I really pushed hard and was like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, no, trust me, trust my gut. So we pumped that character up, and within a day of getting to Sam's agent, they came back and they said, Sam's leaning into this and he really likes it. Um, and I zoomed with him and chatted it through to him. And yeah, I just think he just liked the ruthlessness that there's no redeeming qualities. He said he hasn't really done that much. He's always some some redeeming qualities. And he's like, in this guy, there is none. So yeah. he just liked he just liked doing that. Same with Rachel. Again, uh, once she knew Barry was on board and Sam kind of becomes a snowball with these actors. Mm. Actors attract actors and suddenly they're like, oh, let's all work together. And it becomes like, wow, we've got these great actors in this movie. So the film is shot in Queensland. You were actually like the production designer in the film as well, right? Um, for the movie because yep. it's your studios and it's like it's your you are like the kind of like the guy. Even though it's not your script, it's your your vision in a lot of ways. Yep. What's it like transforming Queensland to like this? Um, like I think it's like, and I'm not sure if there's a specific. I don't remember if there's a specific state uh, talked about in the movie in regards to where it is in the US. Um, but what's it like transforming Queensland into that? And with all the productions done in Queensland over the years, like so many Hollywood productions, does it make it easier? Are the resources available to you to make sure that you can transform things, to make sure, you know, even the small things like um, 
traffic signs or what have you, or, or, or in regards to cars with um, left-handed drive, et cetera. So does it make it easier for you, considering the um, history of um, productions in Queensland over the years? Yeah, I think I think it does. Like we went into it knowing that, so it wasn't like a new thing that we were suddenly trying to do. Um, there's plenty of productions that do it. We've got crew up here who I work with who work on those big films like, you know, King Kong and, and, um, and Pacific Rim 2 and all these other ones that have come over here, um, San Andreas. So, yeah, I relied on those crew heavily to bring them up and be like, what did you do on that job? How did you, you know, give, give me a contact with San Andreas who used the cars or whatever? Um, but, yeah, it was the first time I've done that. I, I like, obviously, really big champion of Australian cinema. Um, this is my first time not setting it in Australia, and I did it for a bit more broader appeal for the U.S. market um, and everything else. Uh, so, yeah, we found the cars. Some of the street signs have to be visual effects around so there's there's a, there's a lot of invisible visual effects in the film that people won't even notice you know changing a changing a gas station to gas and go you know more american style it's just in the background and stuff like that so was, we really went through and made sure that every shot you know was very american how early in the process did you know that this was going to be done with american accents as well as, even with the local talent um, because you've got a UK screenwriter, you've got a Australian filmmaker, and then you have an American leading man. And I imagine the American leading man dictates kind of like everything else that happens in regards to that. Yeah, well, I mean, we could have made it Australian, and I looked at it first. The, the script was kind of American already. It didn't say where it was. They mentioned Chicago. They mentioned a few other names. You know, so I was like, well, this is kind of Nowhereville, Nowhereville America. Mm. Um, it could have easily been England, I guess, if you want to make it a British movie. But again, it could have been very Guy Ritchie in that way. And out here, you've got movies like Two Hands and and a bunch of Animal Kingdom and a bunch of Aussie movies. And I didn't really want to go down that road. I just know, I just knew that if I had made it Australian accents, you would have just got that Aussie Yobbo Bogan feel. And it's not really my style. Um, so you know, once I once I kind of did that, I was like, it's going to be America. We'll shoot it here. Um, and yeah, you know, then we were able to cast Americans, which are a lot easier to cast once you go through the sort of talent pool of leading men here in Australia. Um, it's a very small talent pool who are bankable. Um, and then you in then UK and America's a much a much broader talent pool. What I love about talking to you, Luke, over the years is that with every project that you have, not only does the ambition become bigger, uh, not only do productions become bigger as well, but your name starts becoming bigger as well in the who you can attract to your films or the films they're becoming involved with. And what's so cool about that is you're doing it through genre films. You're doing it through sci-fi, through horror, through crime movies as well, which is something that, you know, the one thing that really irritates me in regards to the Australian film industry is that it seems like they only make like two or three styles of film. You know, you can have like the really kind of like depressing kind of typical Aussie film, the quirky kind of like, you know, uh, Muriel's Wedding kind of thing. And then there's the other one film, which I think it belongs to more to kind of like the Indigenous kind of filmmakers and their aspect. But the other things that made Australian film what it is, the proper backbone of the Australian film industry all the way back from the 70s was the genre movie, the Mad Maxes, the Razorbacks, the Wolf Creeks. Those are the films that really prop it up as well. And you've done, you're continuing in that tradition, but you're doing it your way as well. Um, so for any Aussie filmmakers listening out there right now who want to make films like how you're making them, who are inspired by the films that you're inspired by, what kind of advice do you give to them in regards to not only taking that first step, but like just staying on the line and just keep sticking to your vision. Because to me, over the years talking to you, it's just, it just always seems to me that you have a vision, you have a goal, and film by film by film, you're getting there to the point now where 
you're getting actors like Barry Pepper and Sam Neill and and you've got US distribution and you're making these films. It's such a it's a great thing to see on my end. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that and I agree. Um it was yeah, it's pinching moment for myself when I'm there on set with Rachel and Sam and Barry and thinking, oh shit, you know, I mean I'm directing these people. Um I think any filmmaking advice is so hard. Like you can look up lots of memes and lots of you know YouTubers and they're all right, right? They're all right at what they say. I'd still watch that stuff when I'm eating my lunch, you know, um, film film nation and all these different cinema stories. Um I think the biggest thing I've learned is just no one's gonna change the light bulb for you. You gotta do it yourself. Like you don't just sit around and expect, you know, what I mean, I've got a great script, I've got an actor, like there's so many times I've got so close to a show or a movie coming up and then it gets pulled out Monday or whatever until you, you know, um, until you just do it yourself. And then at the same time, determination of like, I'm going to get this done, but also have other projects to pivot to. This this movie was a pivot movie. I wasn't even expecting this movie even to exist, you know, up until a couple of weeks before getting the script. Yeah, I was on another track of like, I'm going to determine to do this movie called Scary. I'm going to do this movie called Scary. And I was there for like just months at the end, just grinding, 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 thinking, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there. And it just didn't happen. But luckily I had something like this to quickly just go, bam. And suddenly this is bigger than what that movie was going to be. So I've learned this pivot thing. So now I've got like several scripts all developing at the same time. So I quickly just go, oh, this one's got interest. Boom, done. Rather than just being like, I've got my one script with my one cast and we're going to get this movie done. So I feel like that's something I've learned between talking to you is this whole pivot thing. So I'm going to pass that on to someone else. Pivot. Well, for everyone out there listening, please do check out Bring Him to Me, November 2nd. In Australian cinemas, stars Barry Pepper, Sam Neill, Rachel Griffiths, Jamie Costa. Um, I really recommend people check this film out in the cinema. We need to have people with butts in seats in cinemas to watch Australian independent filmmakers like Luke Spark have their films be presented the way it's supposed to be presented. So that way we can get future Luke Sparks uh, making movies as well so we can get those genre films in Australian-made genre films in Australian cinemas as well. And, Luke, just want to say congratulations to you with the film um, and thank you so very much for your time today. It's always always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, before, this is um, number four on the uh, Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. Can't wait for number five when that happens as well. I'm sure it's going to be sooner uh, rather than later. Later, I know you're a busy, very, very busy man. <laughs> okay, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes, go see the movie. <laughs>